Our sermon passage this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. I invite you to turn there. It's printed for you in your bulletin if you need it. This is God's Word. Good, beautiful, and true. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've brought us into this place today to pause and to reflect, to give thanks. So I pray, Lord, as we are reflecting on the reality of who you are and what you've done and what that means for who we are and what we are to do in our lives, that you would move upon our hearts to work gratitude within us. That we may live lives that look to you and see all things through the lens, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think one of my favorite Christmas movies, and this will tell you a lot about my personality, is A Muppet's Christmas Carol. I love it. It's delightful in every single way. If you've never seen it, most of us know Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, Bob Cratchit. So Muppet's Christmas Carol... Every main character except for one is played by Muppets. And so Kermit is Bob Cratchit. Uh, Gonzo plays Charles Dickens. He's narrating. He's got Rizzo there with him, and et cetera, et cetera. I could keep listing. The only main character who's a human is Michael Caine. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge and, in my opinion, gives an Oscar-worthy performance. I don't know how he acted that well surrounded by puppets, but he does it. It's incredible. Of course, you know, Jim Henson and the team with the Muppets did not write the story. It comes as an adaptation um, from Charles Dickens' novel, Christmas Carol. And it's a story that many of us know about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. And when we meet Scrooge, he's an incredibly lonely and bitter man who has spent his life, literally spent his life chasing money and greed at the expense of everything else. He's sacrificed relationships and friendships. When we meet him, he despises his employees and mistreats them. He despises to the poor. He literally says early in the story that he wishes the poor would just die because they're a drain on society and it would make everything work a whole lot better. So he's a miserable man when we meet him. And then he has an experience on Christmas Eve that opens his eyes and literally transforms his heart. He sees with clarity, with the blinders taken off, he sees the past, he sees the present, he sees the future, and he's transformed. He looks at the past and he sees what has happened. He sees the love that had existed in his past, and he sees how his greed destroyed it. And the effects of that. He sees the present and he sees the effects that his current uh, bitter and greedy and <laughs> terrible life are having, not just on himself, but on other people. And then he gets a glimpse of a possible future where the effects of his greed have fatal results, not just for him, but for other people as well. And he comes away from this experience transformed and changed he utters this sentence that the first time I read it and the first time I heard it did not make any sense to me. He says, I will live in the past and the present and the future. 
A life can be changed. I will live in the past, in the present, and in the future. He's saying from now on, I will live learning from the lessons of the past, not disregarding them, not forgetting that the past exists. And I won't look at it just negatively. I will realize the love that has existed in my past. He says, I will live in the present. I will be present where I am. And I will see my uh, place in life and the resources given to me as things given on trust for the good uh, to be put to use for the good of other people. He says, I will live in the future. And what he means, he will live with hope and anticipation of seeing how his now transformed life will reverberate out and echo out to other people in a different way, in a way he's never experienced before. He will live in the past and the present and the future. And when he comes away with a heart transformed, he turns from his greed. And the story ends with Ebenezer Scrooge, not a greedy leech on people, but living a life that shines with the glory of generosity. He's transformed. He has changed in this experience. And his entire life from that time on is gratitude and thankfulness. One of the reasons the Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite is the music. And there's a song at the end. After Scrooge has had this encounter that has changed his heart, he sings a song. Part of it goes like this. With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me. And they will bring love, hope, and peace to me. And every night will end and every day will start with a grateful prayer and a thankful heart. With an open smile and with open doors, I will bid you welcome what is mine is yours. With a glass raised to toast your health and a promise to share the wealth. I will sail a friendly course. I will file a friendly chart on a sea of love and a thankful heart. Now, I could keep going. I love that song. I love this movie. But it's not Scripture, obviously. Don't hear me saying <laughs> that the Muppets are, you know, we need to tack on the, trans, the, you know, the screenplay onto the back of the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. It's not Scripture, obviously. But I'm quoting it this morning because it resounds and it sounds an awful lot like what the New Testament, what Scripture sounds like when it talks about a life of generosity, a life of gratitude. Because we are people who can live with thankful hearts because we have found an endless joy like he sings. And it sounds a lot like the thing that was going on behind uh, what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we just read. Rejoicing always, praying always, giving thanks in all circumstances. This is a life lived in the past, in the present, in the future. And so I want to walk through Kind of what that means for us. What does it mean for us as Christians to live a life in the past, present, and future? So we look back in the past. This is a life that looks back on the past and how God has moved in His grace. And we see all things through the lens of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We look back to the past, and what I mean is we don't look back at our shameful past. We don't look back and make a list of all the things we've done wrong. We don't make a list of regrets. We look back to Him 
The sufficiency of what He has accomplished. We look back and we say God has acted and acted definitively in Jesus. And so we can live in the past in the sense that we look back on that as the foundation of who we are. Before we answer any question about who we are or what we're doing in life or what's going on, we answer that question first with, I am someone who's loved in Christ. I am someone that God sought out in Christ. I am someone for whom the eternal Son of God took on a human nature, lived a perfect life, faced a shameful death on the cross, and was raised from the dead. That's the starting place about who I am. So if shame, if guilt, if any kind of whatever creeps up in me and I start thinking those thoughts about myself or anybody else, I can stop and say, like we learned in the Ten Commandments when we're talking about the First Commandment, something is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So we allow God to set our value. We live in the past in the sense that we look back always on what He has done for us. And we trust His voice more than we trust our own. So I want you to take a moment now. We're not going to pray out loud like we did a few minutes ago. But take a moment now and I want you to reflect on what this means for you. To live in the past. To think that this God can do anything He wants. Anything whatsoever. And what God wanted to do was move heaven and earth to win you to Himself. He could do anything whatsoever in what He chose to do. What He wills to do is to find you and bring you home. That's living in the past. Living in the present. A life lived in the present, it looks to the present and it sees all the ways that God provides for us. All the ways that He provides for us. It happens so often that we forget. That's how often God provides for us. That we can forget if we don't write it down. We can literally be six months later and we forget that I was stressed out of my mind about this thing that I don't even think about anymore now. Because God provided for me in a way I did not expect. You know, the, the life of faith is, in, in part, it's learning that you know, when you first encounter the gospel, when you first start to think, well, Jesus died for me. In truth, our idea of what Jesus accomplished is pretty small because our understanding of who he is and what he's accomplished has not broadened yet. But as we grow and as we mature, we come to see that his grace isn't just limited to a small amount of things. And our list of sins and things that Jesus had, the hurdles Jesus had to jump over to save us are actually smaller than, uh, than reality. But as we grow in grace, we come to see that it's all grace. It's all grace. We are sustained in every moment because God loves us and He provides for us. And how does He provide for us? Well, the greatest things that He provides for us aren't things at all. We were reflecting on it a minute ago. The greatest things He provides for us are people. When I stop and I reflect, when I take a moment to reflect and give thanks for the way God has provided for me, I quickly run out of things, not because He hasn't given me things, but because my heart begins to turn to people. My gratitude does not overflow because of the stuff I have. And I like my stuff. 
I like my stuff. I like my books. I like my guitars. I like my stuff. But my heart overflows with gratitude because of people. My heart overflows with gratitude because of y'all, because of you. When I stop and I allow this to fill my mind, when I allow you to fill my mind, my heart swells with knowing that God loves me because you prove it. I know God loves me because you guys prove it. It's a profound gift to be your friend. And it is a beyond profound gift to be your pastor. Um, I don't even like calling what I do a career. Like, I, I, I mean, I work. <laughs> I'm not saying, but it is a profound gift. An incredible gift to be here and done and to be the pastor of Christ Church done and to be your pastor. And I, I, I spend my week studying God's Word. And when I'm studying God's Word, I am excited because of what I get to share because I know that you are going to hear it. It is a profound gift to be your pastor, to see God's grace at work in your lives, to walk with you in your troubles. I never begrudge the, the phone calls in need of prayer or my presence, not at all. It is the greatest gift in the world to walk alongside you in your pain and to see you flourish and thrive and to cheer you on. So I want you to take a moment. This is living in the present. Search your hearts for just this past year. We'll limit it to the last year. And I want you to think on the ways that God has provided for you. Because he has. I want you to look around this room maybe and see the faces of people who love you and think of the gifts of friends and the gift of God's Holy Spirit who confirms in us that we are His. The gift of His Word who shows us who He is and what He's about. The gift of our baptism that testifies to us that He washes us clean. The gift of the Lord's Supper that seals the promises we hear. The gift of how ends meet when we don't think they can. Gift of life and future, living in the future. A life lived in the future is one of hope. Because if the gospel's true, and it is, then there is no tomorrow where you will find yourself alone. It's a profound thought. There is no tomorrow, there is no rising of the sun that will find you alone. Ever. There's no crossing into death. We will all face death one day. For us who are in Christ, we have no fear that that means the end or that we means we're alone or that we are tossed off or we are lost. No. There is no tomorrow when I am not loved. There is no tomorrow when I am not alone. Or not when I am alone. I have been bought the God of the universe. And that is my hope for the future. So I want you to take a moment now to reflect on this. You have struggles with sin. I do too. But know that long after your struggles with sin are over, long after the struggles with how other people have wounded you are over, long after the struggles with the wrongs of this world and the injustice of this world are over, what will remain is the unending love of God for you. That is your future. And this is what it means to live a life in the past, in the present, in the future. 
always through the lens of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. When Paul writes here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and he's telling the, the, the people that received the letter, and he's telling us, or reading over their shoulder in a sense, to give thanks in all circumstances, he is not ignorant of the roller coaster of life. He is not saying give thanks in all circumstances, and this is really easy. Not at all. Paul knows well that there are times when we are not going to feel like rejoicing. He's lived a life of hardships. He had had plans dashed. Paul lived with a disability that left him at times at the mercy of other people. If you read through his letters in the New Testament, he was sometimes separated from his friends and he was eat up with anxiety about how they were doing. Not every circumstance is worth gratitude, is what I'm saying. Don't thank God for sickness. Don't be resigned to wrong. But what Paul is saying is that we can rejoice even in the darkness because our source of joy is the knowledge that even though we are broken and sinful and flawed beyond our understanding, we are far more loved than we can ever dream. And that's true always because it's not dependent on us and it's not dependent on circumstances. We can rejoice always because God enables us to remember in the darkness what we know in the light. That his love is set on us. Paul here is aware of a deeper truth. The kind of things that captured Ebenezer Scrooge's heart in a Christmas carol. That when you come face to face with grace. When you come face to face with a grace that is greater than your failures. It produces within you a heart of profound gratitude. So this morning we're giving thanks And giving thanks requires stopping. We know this at some level. It's why we dedicate a whole holiday to it. Thanksgiving requires stopping. We know that it requires pausing. And interestingly, uh, to tie this back to Ebenezer Scrooge, that's actually what his name means. Ebenezer. It's a Hebrew word. You find it in the Old Testament. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing in a moment. And it speaks about raising an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer in the Old Testament was a memorial stone. Essentially kind of a statue of sorts. When God would act for His people. And they didn't want to forget it. They wanted to set something up to remember. And to tell future generations, this is when God did this for our people. For our family. They would raise what was called an Ebenezer. It was a stone of remembering. Charles Dickens chose that name, Ebenezer Scrooge, on purpose. The ancient Israelites, when God would work, would stop. Before they moved on to the next thing, they would pause. And they would stop and remember and give thanks. Because once again, God had proven His intentions for His people. One of the reasons I think that we are actually bad at Thanksgiving in our world is because we are so busy. We are so busy that we do not have time to stop and reflect. So this morning, I want to pause before we eat, actually. And in a sense, raise our own Ebenezer, our own stone of remembrance. Not literal stones, I don't have rocks in here, but... 
(laughs) as we pause in this moment and give thanks, before we move on to the next thing, remember what we have talked about this morning. That we know that we walk in the profound love of God who has worked in the past, is working in the present, and will work in the future to bring to us all that He has for us. And may we be turned like Scrooge, like Ebenezer, toward others in radical generosity with thankful hearts to be people who love and live in the past, who live in the calling of the present, who live in the promise of the future. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for all the ways that You have shown us Your goodness. We've paused to reflect on the, and give thanksgiving for the reality of the gospel. We've paused and gave thanksgiving for relationships. In a moment, we'll pause and give thanks for all the ways you've provided for us. You are good, Lord. You've brought us to yourself to prove your goodness to us over and over again. So work within us hearts of gratitude. For this is your will for us in Christ Jesus to rejoice always because our source of rejoicing is not defined by circumstances, to pray continually because we are always heard, to give thanks in all circumstances because circumstances are not forever. Seal this to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.